Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28 with me. Matthew 28 will be at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew this morning, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at that 16th verse to the end of the chapter together this morning. And once you have found Matthew chapter 28 and the 16th verse, if you would be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning as we read together Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse number 16. And it reads like this. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, this morning. You have blessed our hearts through our time together, especially through the songs this morning. Father, you have welled up within me the joy of salvation as you reminded me of what you did for me through your son, Jesus Christ. With that remembrance, Father, I must listen to that which he tells me to do this morning as we open the word and look at his command, his commission to each of us and to the church this morning. Father, may obedience well up within our hearts. May we this morning, Father, see our life in Christ in a very different way. May it affect our heart. May it change the way we think with our head. May it change what we do with our hands. All because of your Son, Jesus. Do that by making very little of me and very much of you, that you may be glorified in this place this morning. This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're at the close of another year. 2019's only got a few days left. In fact, we're at the close of a decade. I guess it is the close of a decade. We're rolling over, getting ready to march into 2020. 2020. You know, it's also the close of something else this year for me. Something else is the close of five years of ministry with you guys. Five years. Yesterday, five years ago, I was ordained as a pastor. Took the pulpit here in January. <laughs> as a matter of fact, five years ago. It's the end of five years. Wendy and I have been absolutely blessed to be a part of this fellowship. You have been an absolute blessing to us. Thank you. Thank you for your love for me, for my family, but most of all for my Savior. You know, 2019 was a wonderful year. It's a wonderful year for us. Uh, here at the church, we did a lot of things to improve our facilities. We have a brand new kitchen. We've got things done that makes the place look uh, prettier and, and more functional. We've, we've seen a Monday night Bible study continue to grow, and uh, what a populace that's become. Uh, pretty sure they're going to have to move down here sooner or later. There's so many folks coming to that. And, 
And uh, that's been great. We've, we've increased our support of missions to lost people groups all over the world by supporting more missionaries and, and spreading the gospel message. We've, we've increased our efforts in our community to spread the gospel, to love on our community, to, to look after those that are in need. Uh, we've seen people come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our midst, and we've seen so many people baptized over, over 2019 and years past. You know, it's been, it's been wonderful. And these are great things. These are great things that we've done for, for God, for His glory. And we should look to do even greater things in the days ahead for the glory of God. We should focus our attention on doing that which brings God the most glory. You know, but at the same time, as I look back on the past five years as pastor, I have to ask myself one question. Have we done, have we done what God wanted us to do in all this? You know, it's, it, the end of the year should be a time of reflection for us on how the last year looked, and it should change what we do in the years ahead. <laughs> and, I, and I think we do that in our, in our own life, you know. And, and that question is a question that we should ask ourselves, that we should look at, look at our lives in the, in the presence of a holy God and say, have we done that thing which God desired for us to do? I, I know the things that we have done have been, have been wonderful as a church. The things that we have done personally have been wonderful, and, and there's nothing against those things. And, and but as a pastor, I have to ask, have we done what God would have us do as a church? You know, I, I believe God is pleased, is absolutely pleased with the things that we have done for Him. But as I ask myself the question, I have to be honest. I have to be honest and say, I, I, I'm not sure we've done the one thing that God has commanded us to do, even though we've done a lot of good things. You see, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And as I examine my life, I see where in my life I've fallen short. Unfortunately for you, if I have fallen short, then Morris Creek Baptist Church has fallen short because I've been set as the under pastor, under shepherd of this place for a season. You know, there are many things in the Bible that are open for debate. <laughs> I love the men's Sunday school class. We debate a lot of things. We tried to figure out what we would do if a donkey spoke to us this morning. Anybody else have that discussion in Sunday school? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to come to Sunday school. We were trying to figure out, you know, uh, even Elbert said if he goes out and a cow talks to him, he's headed to the barn himself, going to leave the cow in the field, and he's going to ask God what's going on. <laughs> you know, what, what a story. You know, we debate a lot of things, and, and there are a lot of things that are open for debate. You know, what is the Sabbath? There's, there's people that argue about what is the Sabbath and how do you keep it. Uh, there's arguments about what does it really mean to love your neighbor. Uh, there's arguments about, yeah, and I get asked this all the time, and I know you'll see how foolish this is as soon as I say it. So if you've asked me this, I'm not saying you're foolish. It's just a foolish question if you think about it. Uh, Pastor, can I eat this or can I drink this? Uh, this question that you, you I'm not even going to answer it. Uh, you know, there's arguments all the time about how are we supposed to worship God? You know, there's different worship styles, and, and there's arguments about these things. You know, the list goes on and on. There, there's things in the Bible that are absolutely open to debate. But there are also things in the Bible that are not open to debate. There are things that are not open to debate at all. For instance, there's only one way to salvation. There's only one way to salvation, and that's by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No matter who gets on TV, no matter who writes a book, no matter who tells you there are multiple ways to an almighty God, there is only one way, and His name is Jesus. 
He paid a penalty for your sins that you could not pay and died that horrible death on a cross so you would not have to. He was buried in a tomb where if he had stayed in that tomb, nothing he did on the cross would have been effective. But they found three days later that the tomb was empty and that was God's stamp of approval that what Christ had done was sufficient to pay a penalty for your sin and for mine. By the sign of an empty tomb, we know we have the possibility of salvation and a right relationship with God. And that salvation has a name and his name is Jesus. No debate. You know, there are other things there is no debate about in the Bible, and that is the fact that there is only one God. No matter what the world tells you, there is only one God. There is one God that is a triune God. He is both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see him present in the Bible from the very first sentence written in your Bible. The very first sentence written in your Bible tells you there is God. And God created all things a spirit. The Holy Spirit hovered over the earth. And God made all things by speaking the word. You heard me read this morning what the word is in the Bible. And his name is Jesus. So there is one God in three parts. There is also another fact in the Bible that is non-debatable. No matter how good you think you are. No matter how good your parents or grandparents were. No matter how many times you have darkened the doorstep in the back of that church to walk into this place. You are a sinner. No debate. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes me. That includes you. I know this may sound sacrilegious, but even Billy Graham sinned. That's what it tells us in the Bible. There's also another undebatable fact in the Bible. God loves you. God loves you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on a cross. That's why he said... He loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son. There are a whole lot of primary issues in the Bible that there is no debate over. There's a whole lot of unchanging truths in the Bible that don't swing as our economy swings, as our populace swings, as our education system swings, as presidents change, the truth of the word never changes. Never and part of the truth in God's words are the commands that we're given by God. See, when God commands us to do something, it doesn't hinge on whether we want to. It doesn't hinge on whether it's popular. It doesn't hinge on whether it's convenient. When he says do it, we must do it. Yet, let's be honest with ourselves. As we end the year, let's be honest. We see the commands in the Bible, yet as Christians, most times, we treat them as suggestions. Let's just be honest about it. God commands we do something and we think, that's a great suggestion, but it just doesn't fit right now in my life. It's not the way it works. Jesus said an outward sign of the love of him was the obedience to those things that he commanded us to do. In fact, in fact, Jesus makes a connection between our obedience to God's commands and our love of him. And he even goes one step further. It is teaching, and he, he, he tells us that, that those who keep his commandments and love him will be loved by the Father. And he says, and by Jesus himself. And he says that Jesus, he will manifest himself to them. You see, in, in John, John chapter 14, I believe it is, John chapter 14. Yes, he says this in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. <laughs> and he who loves me, he'll be loved by the Father. 
And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you find yourself desiring to have more of Jesus? Keep his commandments. He says, keeping his commandments is how you show that you love him. And if, if you love him and keep his commandments, that the Father will love you, that he will love you, and that he will manifest himself to you. See, and for the most part, we do pretty good at keeping the commandments. Because when I say commandments, I know what you go to. You don't steal, you don't kill, you don't lie, you don't covet, you don't talk about others. You, you keep all of those ten that you can. That's what we think about when we think about the commandments. But those are not the commandments that Jesus was talking about when he said, these commandments that I give you that you keep show that you love me. Let's face it. The world tries to keep those ten. That's why we have laws. Let's face it. Are they keeping the Ten Commandments because they love Jesus? Or are they keeping the Ten Commandments because they love their freedom? You see, we're not doing anything other than what the world is attempting to do if we try to only keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's what the laws are, are there for. What Jesus is saying is, when he tells us our, our love for him will be evident and our keeping of his commandments goes way deeper than just the law. When asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said this in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, he said these words in the 34th verse. It says, but when the Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So these religious leaders decided, we're going to just stump him here with our little tough question. It says, one of them, a lawyer, huh, Always a lawyer to start something, isn't it? <laughs> a lawyer asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Hmm. So we've got this list. Jesus, how about pulling out the greatest one? Jesus did just that. He said in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. How do you stop there? You know what would have happened? <laughs> In our hearts, we'd have said, we got that one. Because who would know? Who would know? Only you and God. I'd never know. Nobody sitting in here would ever know if you were loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You could have looked like it. Many people put on their Sunday best to come to church, not just their dress, <laughs> their Sunday best. So that you look like you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in the second, just like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, I can see. That is fruit hanging on your tree. You see, when he was asked what is the greatest commandment, he says, love God with everything that you are. And sacrificially love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. <laughs> I believe our passage today commissions us to do just that. Commissions us to do what God said, what Jesus said, is the greatest commandment. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 has come to be known to us as the Great Commission. This Great Commission of, of Jesus Christ, it is Jesus giving us our to-do list so to speak, as, as a Christian, as a little Christ, as one who bears his name. You see, and I believe if we want to be all that God 
would have us to be in 2020 and the days ahead of that, we need to be obedient to what Jesus tells us that we are to do. You see, the wonderful thing about what he tells us to do, he has already done. See, he is not giving you hyperbole. He's not giving you a suggestion. He's not saying this is a possibility. He's saying, do that which I did. You ever wonder what he was doing the three years of ministry? He was doing what he commissioned us to do. So the question arises in my heart and mind and the passage of our text today and the thought that I want to lay on your heart as it's been laid on mine over the last few months is this question. What are we to do? What are we to do? What is this all about? Look at that Matthew passage in the 16th verse. It it says there, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. It says the disciples, they went to this mountain and it was a mountain, there was a place where Jesus had appointed. There was a specific group of people that Jesus had appointed to meet him on this mountain and they were called as disciples. They argue, is it just the 11 or could there have been more? You know, it doesn't matter. The more, the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. It's the point of why they were there that makes all the difference in the world. He, see, he did not invite the masses. It's obvious. It wasn't one of those five, ten, fifteen thousand people gatherings. He he did not invite specifically the religious leaders. He he did not invite his own family, so to speak. It, he invited those called his disciples. We tend to think it was just the eleven. I tend to think it was more. You'll see why by the time we're finished. This tells me the first thing that we, we must do, the very first thing that we must do in our own lives is become a disciple. We must become a disciple. What then is a disciple? What then is a disciple? Flip over in Matthew, since I've got you in that book. You're going to get your exercise this morning in Scripture, by the way. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, he says these words in the 19th verse, as he's walking by the sea of Galilee. As he's walking by that sea, he says, and he said to them, follow me, follow me, and I'll give you a really good life. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, he he says, follow me, and I'll show you how to do church the right way. No, no. He, He said, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. See, it's interesting what he says as he calls the disciples. You see, it raises a question to me, what then is a disciple? A disciple is a devoted follower of Christ that is being transformed into the image of Christ and is leading others to become followers of Christ, all for the glory of God. See, that's why he called them. He didn't call them to be teachers. He didn't call them to be preachers. He didn't call them to be business owners. He called them to be disciples. A disciple is a devoted follower of Christ who desires to be the image of Christ, lead others to be disciples of Christ and followers of Christ, all for the glory of God. You see, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower. (laughs) A follower. And to follow someone, you must know where he goes. 
To follow someone, you must see the path that he is walking. To follow someone, you must be in his footsteps. And when you go where he leads, you must do the things that he did. You see, being a disciple isn't coming up with a new way to do Christianity. Being a disciple isn't coming up with a new way to share the Bible. Being a disciple is following the disciple or Jesus Christ and doing that which Jesus Christ did. Jesus said to follow him and he would make you fishers of men. And he's saying that to that you become my disciples when you follow me. See, in our world, we love to come up with new and exciting ways to do everything. We love to reinvent the wheel. We love to come up with new ways to deliver things, especially when it comes, it seems like, to the Bible. Whether it be fancy light shows or big bands or 15-minute conversations or whatever it may be, we love to come up with new ways to do things. I'm not saying that any of those things are incorrect. Don't read me wrong. But the one thing that we must understand is that if we want to be Christians, Christ-like in His image, we must follow Him where He goes and we must do that which He did. And when you follow me, He says, you become a disciple. And He says, I will make you like me so that others will follow you and will become disciples. You see, it's interesting how Jesus worked. He chose disciples. He discipled them into His image. And he sent them out, not with a new message. He sent them out with the message that they might make disciples. You see, the second thing that I noticed that this tells us is not only that we must become a disciple, the second thing we must do is become disciple makers. And what is disciple making? Probably one of the best places I've ever seen this picture painted of disciple making we studied just a few weeks ago in Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says this, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Interesting. Interesting, the the disciples that had been with Jesus, when Jesus left them, filled them with the Holy Spirit, and and set them on mission, what did they do? They communed together. They ate together. They were glad, and they had this simplicity of heart, and they praised God together, and it said that found favor with all the people. Them being like Christ gave them favor to other people. And what was the result of that? The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It didn't say they stood on the corner and handed out tracts. It didn't say they came up with a new light show for their worship service. It didn't say they changed their dress or their service time, did it? It said they acted like Jesus acted with them. Because what did Jesus do when he was in their presence? (laughs) He ate with them. He loved on them. He sat with them. He talked with them. They had the simplicity of heart together. They just replicated that which Christ had done with them. And what did God do? He found them favor with those around and added to the church daily. See, disciple-making is living out a transformed life and fellowship with others that they may become disciples of Christ and that they may live out this transformed life in the life of others. 
See, disciple-making is the everyday living out of the gospel in the life of others. And it's with the intent. It's with the intent of them becoming disciples of Christ. And then they live out the gospel in the lives of others with the intent of them becoming disciples of Christ. You know, we've had it upside down for a long time. We've always thought, you know, what we need to do is we need to get our friend to come to church so that we can get that friend saved. You know what the real purpose in doing that is? So we can find out who his friends are that need Christ so we can get him to invite them to church and get them saved. It's called escalator Christianity. It's not the example that Christ gives. Christ not only lived it out, but so did his disciples. In the fact that they lived out the gospel-transformed life in the life of others, and what happened? Others' lives were transformed by the gospel. And the church started. It says 3,000 joined. 5,000 joined. People came to know Jesus Christ, not by great preaching, but by transformed living. Look back at that Matthew 28 passage with me. Matthew 28, 17 says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Notice the reaction of the disciples when they saw this Jesus. It says they worshipped him and some doubted. I got to tell you, I absolutely love the transparency of the Bible. I love it. I just love how trans, how transparent. See, if had I been writing that, I don't know that I'd have written it that way. I'd have said when they saw him, they worshipped him, period. It'd have been real easy. It'd have been real easy to turn this meeting with the risen Jesus into a great big worship service that everybody went along with. But the transparency of the Bible is just so wonderful. It says that, that there were some that, that doubted. A moment where everyone seems to get it in worship, there were some that doubted. And we all know the truth in our lives. There's probably not a person in the room that doesn't have some relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's head knowledge. You know who this Jesus is. You believe in his birth. You believe he died. You believe he rose from the dead. But maybe you haven't received him in your life as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just enjoy the sin that you're in. You like to be in control in your life and you have yet to choose to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe that's where you sit this morning. Maybe this morning you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you, you are loving him with all of your heart. But you know, there's not a one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, that don't have some doubt about some things when it comes to Jesus. You know, he commands us to do things that, quite frankly, at times I say, God, i got a tough time with that. I don't think I can do it. You know what God reminds me of? I can't. He says, why do you think I sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you? See, there's a certain amount of doubt that sets into my heart about being able to accomplish that, which I know God's told me to do. And God has to remind me, let me wipe away that doubt for you. That's why you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You see, oftentimes doubt comes when we don't know something. Doubt comes when we don't get the full picture, not having enough information to securely make a decision in our life. It's, it's like Thomas. It's like Thomas has spent time with Jesus Christ. He, he had seen the fact that he had died. He, he knew that the tomb was empty. But when the others said, Thomas, we've seen this Jesus, what did he say? 
not till I see his hands and side. Well, I believe you. Now, did Thomas think that Jesus Christ was still in the grave? No. Did he think that Jesus was who he said he was? Absolutely. Yet for Thomas, he didn't have quite enough information. Truth be told, neither did the others until they saw Jesus. <laughs> they had had the luxury of seeing the risen Jesus. Thomas had not. You know, so all of us have this, this certain amount of doubt. Our, our doubt in the mission of God often stems from our not knowing our purpose in the plan of God. You see, we know that God's got a mission. God's got a mission that the world come to know Him as God and do that through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that they be a worshiper of Him. We know that. But we don't know where we fit in because we don't understand our purpose. See, being an effective disciple maker starts with understanding God's purpose for you. Think about how God used some of the people in the Old Testament. In particular, I love the stories of how he used David. And I love what the Bible tells us about God uh, allowing King David to bring that ark into Jerusalem. Do you remember that story? You remember that story? See, the ark was a symbol of this presence of God. And, and David was bringing the presence of God back into Jerusalem. You can go home and read that story in 2 Samuel 6, I believe it is. It's somewhere. Just read all of 2 Samuel. It would be good afternoon reading. But the part of the story that I love the most is what the chronicler writes in Chronicles. What the chronicler writes in Chronicles. He writes that of the blessing that comes with the presence of God. He, he writes as, of this worship that comes in the, in the presence of God. He writes of this kingship of God over, over all the earth, over all creation. And that's when he writes the words in 1 Chronicles 16, 29. And it's these words that I forever want to be in, ingrained in my heart because it's, it's words that just point to our purpose in being on this earth after Christ has become the Lord of our life. It says this, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So there are three things. There are three things that are connected there with that New Testament picture of Christ. See, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to glorify God by being the image of Christ and worshiping Him in spirit and truth. See, that's our purpose on this earth. The only reason you're still here after accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is to give God glory to be the image of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and as the Word says, to worship Him in spirit and truth. If everything we did on this earth ran through that filter, wouldn't things be different? Think about it for a minute. Before you make a decision in your home or at work, what if you asked? What if you asked the question, how will this glorify God? How, how will this make me more like the image of Christ, the image of Christ be seen? And how will this lead me and others to worship Christ? See, what if your purpose drove everything you did? Let's take it one step further. What if the purpose we're here on this earth drove everything we did as Morris Creek Baptist Church? <laughs> you think our budget would look different? You think our Sunday schools would look different? You think our congregation would look different? You think our impact in the community would be different? See, before we can ever be about the work of God, we must know the purpose of God. Why did those, some of those disciples doubt in the presence of Jesus? They weren't doubting Jesus. 
They weren't doubting that he was risen. They were looking at him. You know what they doubted? Where they fit in. See, they had doubt in their heart. Where, where did they fit in in this? You see, they did not know their purpose. I love it how Jesus calms their fears in that 18th verse when it says that Jesus spoke to them. You know, one word from Jesus calms all of our fears, doesn't it? What a beautiful picture. He goes on to tell them that he has all authority. And then he gives them the mission. He gives them the mission. So our purpose is is to glorify God by being the image of Jesus in the world and worshiping him in spirit and truth. So then what is our mission? Plainly says in the 19th verse, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Quite simple. He says the mission is to make disciples. Doesn't get any clearer. He couldn't have put it on a billboard and been any clearer about it. Notice he does not say the mission is to share the gospel. That'll get a pastor shot in a Baptist church. But that's not what he said. He didn't say the mission was to share the gospel. I know this is where I get in trouble. (laughs) But I think it's time we admit when we have something completely upside down and wrong. As Baptists, we've had it upside down and wrong for a long time. A long time. How do I know that? Look at the steady decline in our churches. Look at the number of Baptist churches closing every year. Look at the decrease in the baptisms across the Southern Baptist Convention. Look at how secularized the church has become. It's difficult sometimes to walk in a Baptist church and know it's a Baptist church. <laughs> really is. You know, it shows the changes we make in the way we worship to make it palatable to the world. It's not working. You know, we had a million more in 54, 1954, that we're going to add a million more. We've had faith, we've had uh, CWT, we've had every type of program to share the gospel under the earth, it seems like. This year, you haven't heard me announce it, I think a guest preacher announced it to you, was the question, who's your one? That's the new Baptist initiative. You haven't heard me push it, there's a reason. There's a reason. We won't go into it now because this is being recorded and I don't want them calling me later. But it's not biblical, but we'll move on. And, but I know what you're thinking. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost, and yes, he did. But my question to you is this. How did he seek and to save the lost? How did he seek the lost? How did he save the lost? You know, did, did he use a, a tiny little program? Uh, did, he, did he set up a church building and have all his friends invite their friends over so he could share with them? Did, did he have a, a Bible study or an outreach program or high attendance Sunday? Did he, did he have less feed the neighborhood and hand them a track day? Did he do any of those things? The answer is no. He didn't know no, no Jesus sought and saved by disciple making. That's how Jesus did it. See, there are five ways. There are five ways that Jesus showed disciple-making in his life. It is five ways that we need to have in our life. Matter of fact, it's changed my life over the last few months. Just realizing this, the very first way that that Jesus was discipled or had disciple-making in his life was between him and the Father. You ever thought about that? There was a disciple relationship between him and the Father. How do I know that? Because Jesus himself said, I came to do the Father's will. Remember what a disciple is? Following 
the disciple maker. He came to do the Father's will. The second way that he was discipled or was disciple making was to the masses. That's what I do on Sunday morning, standing in a pulpit. He preached to all those who would gather. He was disciple making. But you know the weird thing about that? There, like here, not all those who listened were saved. <laughs> there was a third way that he discipled. And it was with the twelve. From the masses, it pulled down to twelve. There were twelve people he spent day and night with, lived with, ate with, talked to, showed his heart to. There were twelve. Yet one of those was not saved. Seeing an interesting pattern here? <laughs> he discipled with the Father, he discipled with the masses, he discipled with the twelve, but he also discipled with three within the twelve, Peter, James, and John. He would pull off with Peter, James, and John and spend time with them. And even though they knew him and trusted him as Lord and Savior, were they always obedient? Remember the garden. He had to wake them up and say, what you boys doing sleeping? Didn't I ask you to do something? Then there was a fifth way that he discipled, and that was his everyday walk with people in the marketplace. I think of the lady at the well. When he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with the lady at the well, I think about the lady in the crowd that reached through and touched the hem of his garment. I think about Zacchaeus in a tree. See, even though he was with the multitude or with the twelve or with the three, or he always looked for that one that was hurting and discipled them individually. See, the point is, Jesus was the disciple maker and he has commissioned us to be disciple makers. So our mission must be to live out the message of the gospel in the lives of others so that they can live out the message of the gospel in the lives of others. We are to be disciples making disciples. That's what he called us to do. And how is this done? He tells us in Matthew 28, 19, the second part of that, whenever he says, go therefore and make disciples in all the nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Here's where the gospel comes in. See, it's more than the act of baptizing. For what is baptism? See, to be baptized in the biblical sense means that you've had to be transformed in your life by this gospel message. You've had to, to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You've had to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you've, you've said that He is my Lord and Savior. And I want to identify with that by baptism, showing burial in the death of sin and rising to life in Christ. And that's what He's saying there when He's saying, go out and baptize. He's saying, share the gospel message, but do it in relationship. Don't make it a program. Don't make it an intentional go knock on doors on Tuesday night. No, live it out so that people are drawn to the light of Jesus Christ in your life and you share the gospel with them and they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He goes on, he doesn't stop there, but then he goes on to say, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here is where we have dropped the ball. If there's a place that the past was thrown perfectly and hit our hands, it's in sharing the gospel because we've had every program in the world through the Baptist Convention to do that. But what we did with the ball once we got it is we set it on the front pew and we said, okay, go be a disciple and here's your manual. Good luck. That's the way we've taught people to be a Christian. We hand them the Bibles and everything you need to know is in it. You know why we do it? Because we don't open it up and know what's in it, so we can't sit down and tell them. Just be honest with it. 
You see, we've been really good at having programs of evangelism and leaving discipleship to somebody else, namely the pastor. We need to realize that Christ said, go baptize, tell them the gospel through your life, and then you teach them. You teach them. He doesn't stop with baptism. We're to teach them all that we have learned about God. We're to come alongside them, to walk with them in life. In the high points, we're to point them to the Scripture. In the low points, we're to point them to the Scripture. When they know the answer, we're to show them why they know it in the Scripture. When they don't know the answer, we're to show them the answer in Scripture. What does that require of you? To know (laughs) yourself. (laughs) To know yourself. Which means you must know. Which brings me to... My last point. My last point is we know our our purpose is to glorify God by being the image of Christ in this world and leading others to worship Him in spirit and truth. We know that our mission is to go out and make disciples, live out the gospel transformed life in the others, that they may live out the gospel transformed life in others. In other words, disciples making disciples. But what is the end result? You see, because just to know your purpose and just to know your mission doesn't give you the drive to stay in the game. I was watching football last night. College playoffs have started. I guess you'd call it that. It looked like two romps to me. But anyway, they go to play football for a reason. It's not just because they like hitting each other, which I think some do. (laughs) It's not because they want to show off, but it's obvious some do. But what's the goal? What's the goal in all the workouts? What's the goal in getting the team together? What's the goal in showing up? It's the victory. It's the victory. So, so what is our victory? What, what is our, our vision? What is our vision at the end of all this? What, what is it that God wants us to do? Probably the best place, probably the best place I have ever seen the vision of what God wants from us. You can find back in the book of Ephesians. If I can get my pages to unstick. The book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, 21. I know you remember this because we probably talked about it for about six weeks. It says this. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is the vision of the church? Our vision is that God be glorified in you, that God be glorified here in Curry, that God be glorified in all of North Carolina, and that God be ultimately glorified in all the world and do this by the gospel transformation of generation to generation, leading all peoples to be worshipers of Him. See, what is our vision? Our vision is not that it stays just with us, but that it spreads to others. It's the same vision Christ had when He says, Go to all nations. Take it everywhere. Take the gospel to all nations. How do I know we have failed in our attempt to take the gospel to all nations? Because now God is bringing all nations to our doorstep. To our doorstep. There are pockets of lostness all over the state of North Carolina that are foreign people that have come into our nation to escape persecution. And you know what they're really seeking? Jesus. They don't even know it. God has said, you won't go? I'll bring them to you. See, we're, our vision should be to take this gospel message to all the world. And, 
And there's a promise that comes with it in closing, because I know we're already late in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, if we'll understand our purpose, if we'll accept our mission and be obedient to the command to go, if we'll have the vision of Christ that all people come to know Him as Lord and Savior and worship an Almighty God, what does He promise to us? It ends in verse 20 when He says, Lo, it's actually the word, Behold, I am with you always. And how long is always? Even to the end of the age. You see... You want a promise to hold on to? How about I give you one? You do what Christ commands, showing that you love Him. He will love you. The Father will love you. He will manifest Himself to you, and He will be with you always, no matter what comes your way. You see, His promise to us is that obedience to Him brings His manifestation in our lives to the end of the age. Forever and ever. So I ask you, ask this question Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Didn't ask if you were saved. It's two different questions. Are you a disciple? Because a disciple is a follower that goes where Jesus leads, a disciple is one who does what Jesus did. So are you a disciple? Are Are you a disciple who makes disciples who in turn makes disciples? Is that the story of your life? Maybe today you need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower. It starts starts with you recognizing you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Maybe you've been here a hundred times. Maybe you've been in church a thousand times. But maybe this morning you realize that if today was the last day you drew breath on this earth, you're not certain you would be welcomed into heaven as a good and faithful servant. That is no position to be in. See, there's an answer to that. You become a disciple of Jesus Christ by first trusting in the disciple maker who is Jesus Christ. Trusting in what he did on the cross because you sinned. Trusting the fact that he was raised from the dead that you might have life eternal. That you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord and you will be saved. You have that opportunity as we have an invitation to him in a few minutes. I'll be down front. I would love the opportunity to talk to you about that. But maybe today, like me, you don't ever remember being discipled. You you don't ever remember having someone come alongside you and, and really spend time in your life showing you what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because that's the story in most churches. We're good at telling you what the Bible says, and we send you out the door to go do it. We just never emulate it in your life. Jesus didn't just tell them. He showed them. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I I don't ever remember being discipled. If that's where you find yourself, I want to invite you to get with me before you leave today. Started here at the beginning of the year, I'm going to start something called a D group. It's a disciple-making group, which you can have the opportunity to be a part of. It's not going to be a mass group open to everybody. It's not going to be a Wednesday night Bible study. It's going to be one-on-one life together. Learning how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and how to multiply that in making disciples for Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. 
Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.